Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show. want to tell you that I am really shaken by what happened in Las Vegas overnight, as I would think every American is hurting. And it is a, a terribly sad event that has occurred with one person. I mean, you think about how one person can do so much good in the world and how one person can do something so evil, so rotten, so terrible. Uh, as far as lessons from it, uh, I'm, I have no clue. I mean, I, you know, I always try to look for the best in any situation. And it's hard to see what the, what the bright light is in a situation like this or any other domestic act of violence whether it's just somebody who's Looney Tunes or it's some form of domestic terrorism. But I just want to tell you that I feel so badly for the families affected, for the wounded who are fighting for their lives. And as always, I'm grateful to all the men and women who work as uh, people who are first responders, who work as policemen, firefighters, who are there on the scene when there's violence or chaos, and then fellow citizens that came to the assistance of each other. But I want you to know, I know there are times that you can feel despair and you can feel like things are coming apart, don't take the wrong lesson from one demented individual. And we, as a people, remain strong, and as a nation, we do as well. But this is not a good day, and it is a terrible, terrible event. And with that having been said, what I am planning to talk about right now that has been such a and aggravation and has angered so many people, including me, seems so trivial in comparison. And that's various issues that people are still dealing with, and we're getting all the questions posted on Clark.com, people calling in our off-air center about the after-effects of the Equifax data breach. It's so ironic that this is the day that there was Senate testimony from the CEO of Equifax, and again, it seems at this moment so trivial in the aftermath of such horrific loss of life, but we do need to know how the Equifax situation can affect us, and there are certain circumstances that I want you to be really tuned into. First involves something that came up only briefly in my initial coverage of the Equifax data breach, and that is the danger to 401k accounts being looted. There was a lengthy story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about a number of people who have had their 401k accounts looted uh, in the aftermath of the Equifax breach, and no clear pattern as to whether or not this is specifically because of the Equifax breach or just a coincidence. But criminals go where the money is. And if somebody does 
use the information hijacked in the Equifax data breach to open new accounts as if they're you. In dollar amounts, the typical damage is overall considered to be small per person, somewhere a few thousand dollars per person in hazard. A reputational hazard is enormous with you having a job that will last a decade or more to try to clear your name and your reputation. But think of this as an alternative. Somebody can use the information from the Equifax breach to steal your 401k money. They can use it to steal money in a mutual fund account or a Roth IRA or a brokerage account, investment account. That money is potentially at risk. Why? Because throughout the banking and and financial industry, they use the very information that was swiped in the data breach at Equifax to verify identity. So when they do challenge questions, the answers for the banking industry and for the investment community come from the credit bureaus, the very kind of information that was swiped, date of birth, address, prior addresses, uh, maybe your driver's license number, social security number, all the things that the criminals got from the Equifax data breach put you at vulnerability. So now here I am telling you about a vulnerability scaring you, and that is a fail if that's all I do. If I was TV, I'd say full details tomorrow at 6, but that's not my deal. I want to make sure you know what you need to be doing, and that is you need to make sure that you make a change today If the username and password is same as you use on other things like social media accounts, email, anything like that, you change it for your bank, brokerage, 401k, retirement account, IRA, Roth, blah, 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 that you make sure that you don't have commonality with usernames or passwords. And that's a basic I want you to make sure you do today. Second, you, with most financial institutions, can set up various forms of two-factor authentication, which makes it more difficult for a criminal to hack in. So you would typically get, in the simplest form, you get a one-time use code texted to you when you try to go into your account. And that is, as I said, the simplest. And the more sophisticated biometrics are used and you'll see more and more of the financial services industry going to biometrics now that they can no longer trust the verification information from the credit bureaus so in the meantime whatever two-factor authentication is offered by your bank brokerage retirement account people You need to set those things up. Now, what I'm doing is trying to give you steps that reduce significantly the chance that you will be subject to somebody trying to break into your account and stealing all your money. It doesn't mean that somebody won't get in, but what you're doing is you're playing odds. And people who put up defenses are less likely to be 
in danger because the criminals with access to so much information on so many people, 143 million of us, that anybody who's put up barriers, they'll just go on to somebody else who hasn't. So know the dangers that exist. Now, there are a couple of things, though, that if you followed the steps I outlined with doing credit freeze, if you are someone setting up to receive your Social Security benefits, Social Security relies on the credit bureaus to verify identity. You will have to thaw your credit files to do so. Student loans. Some student loans require that your credit be thawed. Others do not. And this whole thing about freezes and thaws, there will be many, many questions that come up over time. I will do the best to answer those as they come along. But for now, I want you to know that the credit freeze is the smartest tool you have available. I read a long first-person account from a columnist who had had his identity stolen three years ago. And all the things that he'd been through since his identity was stolen, including having to be very careful that he didn't end up in jail because of actions being taken by the person who had falsely assumed his identity. And again and again and again, having to explain to debt collectors that he had never done business with whatever organization it was and that he didn't owe any such money. He and his wife were trying to buy a house and he cannot be part of the purchase of the house because his credit file is so messed up from the havoc caused by the identity thief. So that's why, and this comes full circle, that's why even if there are going to be times that you have the hassle and potential expense of thawing your credit, it is worth it to do so because you don't want to end up in a position where you're having to re-explain yourself over and over again for years to come because somebody did have a field day pretending to be you using information stolen in this data breach. By the way, think about it. Uh, the reporter's situation with identity theft way predates the Equifax thing, and so many people every year already were subject to identity theft. This just makes it more likely to increase as a hassle factor for you. Janice is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Janice. Hi, Clark. Janice, you want to talk about your 21-year-old son. Yes. I actually froze my credit and um, took all the steps that were online um, on your page, and it got me to thinking about him. Um, as he has not had any loans or anything like that yet to establish his credit, but he has had a Social Security number since he was pretty much an infant. So I'm wondering, when does that Social Security number, I guess, get initiated at the three big credit bureaus? It, it actually comes alive when someone who is a subscriber to the credit bureau reports information on your son. Okay. So the credit bureaus don't go out and say, Okay, so Janice's son is here, he, he's breathing, he's 
uh, out there. We know his social security number, so we're going to create a credit file. It actually is a reactive thing with the credit bureaus based on one of their subscribers supplying information that your son has applied for credit somewhere or has taken some action like going to sign up for a cell phone plan or something like that that would generate uh, a report to the credit bureau. Okay. So if he's never had any credit, he likely is what they call a thin no, which means he either has no file at all or one that has just the most bare bones of information. Okay. So, for instance, he'll be um, getting his own apartment soon, and if he has not had any credit check up to this point, um, he, you know, it's possible that they could be using that in the future um, to report something on him, and that would initiate his credit history starting. Right. So if they do an inquiry on your son and he has no file, what they will hear mm-hmm. back from the Bureau is there's no file on this person. Okay. But well, if, on the other hand, uh, let's say he is able to sign a lease and they're reporting to the credit bureaus a payment record on the apartment. And generally, I need to tell you, they only report when somebody has a problem paying their rent. Right. Okay. <laughs> then a file is created. But you could help him create a file by making him an authorized user on one of your cards and just not giving him the card. Okay. That's that's probably what I'll do. That'll be one way to get us started. And then, so he should just kind of, once he does get that established credit, um, you know, after, let's say I put him on my card and a few months go by and he can contact the credit bureau, see if he's in there, then he can go ahead and freeze his credit at that point. Right. So you can either, you can do it two ways. You can either go to annualcreditreport.com which is completely free to use once each year. You can get a free copy of your report from each bureau. Or you can attempt to freeze credit, and if they say there's no file, then you know there's no file yet on him. Or you can try to set up a Credit Karma dashboard, and again, if there's no file on him, he won't be able to set up a dashboard with Credit Karma. All these are different strategies to find out, does he exist as far as any of the credit bureaus are concerned. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment. And this is one of those times that you just got to shake your head about the nation's banks. You are going to be stunned what I am going to share with you in just 15 seconds. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. So a group of the nation's banks joined with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to file suit in federal court to, okay, you're going to love this. The banks went to court and filed a suit. The purpose of the suit, to outlaw you being able to sue a bank in court. Now, you can't even make this stuff up. There's new federal regulations that are going into effect that outlaw those kangaroo court arbitration things that go into your agreement with a bank or with a credit card company or whatever 
because they are arbitration forums that are paid for by the banks, run by the banks, and the bank wins just a hair under 100% of the time because the arbitrators only keep their work their work with the bank if they find for the bank, stack deck. So the Fed said that's not okay. Consumer doesn't have a fair shake, fair chance. And so the consumer should have a right to go to court. So the banks that don't want you to have a right to go to court filed a lawsuit to overturn the federal rules that say that you should have your day in court. How arrogant, how unacceptable, and how ridiculous. And by the way, I'm going to talk about you finding a better place to bank straight ahead. So glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Now, there's something we do each year, switch, ditch, save. It's about you thinking through the money that you have in whatever bank you use and thinking through, do you still want to be in what might be an abusive relationship? We have a terrible, terrible problem in the United States that four giant monster megabanks now control more than half of all banking in the country. It is a result of the aftermath of the financial scandals, the banking scandals of last decade, and decisions that the federal government made to prop up the giant monster megabanks at trillions of dollars of cost to the American taxpayer and then let the smaller banks go into oblivion. And so now there's a real imbalance. Plus, the reality is Wall Street looks at the four giant monster megabanks and says they're still going to be bailed out no matter how stupid they are by the federal taxpayer because of the way everything's structured and that they have an unfair advantage in the marketplace. So if they have an unfair advantage in the marketplace, why do they treat you so bad? Why do they treat you so bad? So we have put together a guide at Clark.com that if you go Clark.com slash Clark your bank, Clark your bank, I take you through step by step how to rethink how you do banking. And the truth is, is if your bank treats you great, that they're there when there's a problem, they pay you a decent rate on things, they don't fee you to death, then maybe you don't need to do anything. But most of us at some point, if we deal with one of the giant monster megabanks, are going to be let down. And one of the examples are the calls that I get about checking accounts, particularly with the four giant monster megabanks, that you may have been in a free checking account, and then all of a sudden you notice you're being charged a $35 fee or $50 fee or whatever fee. And why are you being charged that? Well, because they change terms and conditions. And now they're charging you that every month. And you go in and you talk to them and they say, well, it's because of blah, blah, blah. Well, why didn't they tell you? Well, they probably did in the month of August because August is one of the two months of the year that banks 
come up with new gouges for you because people are busy with end of summer vacation, if they have kids going back to school. So the banks know that August is one of the two best months of the year to send people legalese notices that they're going to gouge them and know that nobody's going to notice until the fees start showing up. So I want you to think about this in phases. I'm going to talk about different phases in little segments for the next few days. And the first thing I want you to think about is your checking account. What about moving it somewhere that treats you better? Considering going to a credit union. They're all over the place now. Or looking at an online bank, particularly for people in their 20s and 30s. Doing business with an online bank is ideal. Because you'd rather do stuff on your phone than have to go deal with somebody at some branch of a bank. And as for moving your checking account to one of the online banks, no minimums, no fees, no gotchas. And by the way, I never get complaints about the online banks that I can recall. Never, ever get complaints about them. So that's something you can certainly think about, is making that change. I'm going to take you day by day through changes you can make, but I also have my guide for you for different parts of this and how to change that relationship. Because, you know, you have bad service somewhere at a restaurant, bad food, you don't go back, right? Even if it's a place you loved. You go to a retailer, you have a bad experience, you don't go back. But banking is a unique area where we allow ourselves to be abused again and again and again and come back for more. Because there's something psychological that we've, we're convinced it's difficult to change from a bank to a credit union or from a bank to an online bank or from a giant monster mega bank to a small local bank. And it's not nearly as hard as you think. And then once you get it done, you'll be like, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Again, Clark.com slash Clark your bank. Richard is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Richard. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. Richard, you are retired. I am retired, and I'm growing a Social Security and a pension. Uh, my wife is now getting ready to retire in a few months, and she will not be eligible for a pension, but she has Social Security, of course, and a nice 401k. What do we do now? So first things first. And congratulations, both of you get to bag work. Um, your pension that you have, added to the Social Security that you both receive, or that she'll soon receive and you'll both be receiving, what amount of your monthly living cost will the pension and the Social Security checks cover? Will they cover 100% of your monthly living? Oh, yes. I'm, we're, we're a long time... Clark Howard listeners, and uh, we are basically debt-free except for our mortgage. Uh, we have no credit card debt, no vehicle payment, none of that stuff. And the only reason we have a mortgage is because I had to move to a one-story house because of physical uh, inability to get around my old home, which had multiple stories. And we so we got a small mortgage now. But other than that, we are debt-free. 
So you can live comfortably on the pension and the two Social Security checks. Absolutely. That's great. So then as far as your wife's 401k, you keep it invested as if there's a long-term window till that money will be needed. So instead of going really conservative with it, the 401k should continue to be invested as something you hope to grow over time instead of preserve over time. Using her current uh, investment people that have it now? That's fine if she's happy with them. Oh, yeah. We we have no complaints with them. We were just wondering about um, mandatory drawdowns. People keep talking about uh, they talk about Social Security making big changes next year and that might affect us, uh, you know. Okay, don't don't worry about anything, any noise anybody says about Social Security. Okay. You know, that that's a political thing, and Congress is not going to mess with your Social Security. That's good. That's good. Uh, as far as, um, as the issue, the other issue you raised with, you said uh, Social Security being messed with, and what was the other thing you said? Well, don't you have a mandatory drawdown? Oh, that's not till age 70 and a half. Well, she's, she'll be 66 when she retires next year. All right, and so don't even fret about that because that is an area that very well may end up changing. Okay. Is the required minimum distribution. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, almost five years away from her having to make that. So don't even begin to think about that yet. Yeah, you call me. You call me in five was. years. <laughs> we'll talk so, about. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about how those rules are going to work. But her the important thing. Happening again. Well, she lost such such amount, big amount of money then, and she's wondering she should take it out and do some other investments with it. With her four hundred one k. Yeah. You know, again, because the need for the money is so far in the future for for that. Maybe at some point in both of your 80s where you need money for more medical care or whatever. The big goal over the next 20 years is for that money to be broadly invested, but still with an eye towards growth because you don't need it for current income. Okay. And the fact that you are so careful with your money and that you have saved so diligently, you have your expenses so low, with virtually no debt at all, you have set the table perfectly and you throw into that mix that you have a pension, wow, the two of you are so set for retirement. One thing I wanted to ask you, you said you needed to move to the one-story house. How is your health and how's your wife's health? Uh, we're, just, we're both showing the signs of age. I'm going down her quicker than she is, hopefully. But um, uh, it's just mainly joint damage and uh, hips and things like that. They regret me walking them downstairs. All right, so the, do you know why I asked that question? No. Because I'm curious what your strategy is t- if either of you need long-term care, nursing home care, assisted living facility down the road. Um, don't really have a strategy for that. All right, so that's something I'd like for both of you to look at and you might consider getting, if you can medically qualify, long-term care insurance, because that would be the one thing that sits out there that could be a big budget buster, and you got like a two-thirds chance that one or the other of you would at some point need long-term care. I've got a little bit of information, a mini-guide 
on how to shop for long-term care at Clark.com. Jose is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jose. Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great, thank you. You want to talk about your home. Yes, I do. What's going on with it? So, uh, I'm 27 years old. I uh, was lucky enough to come into a property of my own. I bought a house back in 2013. Um, I've been doing payments ahead of time. And I've reached the point where I'm uh, in a position where I can use all of my savings, um, not including my retirement account, to pay off the house. So I wanted to ask you if you thought that'd be the best uh, route to go. So at 27 years old, you'd be mortgage debt free? Correct, yes. And you have a good job that's secure? Yes. I, I know this is weird, but I think that you're somebody who obviously is in a hurry to be financially independent. Normally, I would ask you all kinds of questions about your interest rate on your mortgage and all that. Um, go ahead and pay off the home. Yeah? Yeah. Excellent. And so now I had, um, you know, the question also of once I do pay off the house, because, you know, my goal is to avoid all the interest um, that I'm going to have to pay if I do uh, live the, the, the life of the mortgage. Um, should I keep home insurance or should I switch the coverage to something? You definitely less? want home insurance because you don't want to own a home free and clear, have a catastrophic loss, and then all that you've worked so hard to pay off and own free and clear be at risk. So you okay. want to maintain homeowner's insurance. But uh, can I ask how much your monthly payment is today? Uh, monthly payment, just the mortgage right now, is uh, $425. Okay. You could not hit me with a more perfect amount. Do you know what I want you doing as soon as you start, as you've paid off that mortgage with that 425 Put it into savings. Nope. I no? want you to put it in a Roth IRA. Okay. Okay. Because you're allowed to put in up to 5500 in a year. You start doing that at age 27, the benefit to you down the road is gigantic because that money grows tax-free and you spend it tax-free. And think about 27 years old, you own your own home. You know, nobody can kick you out. If you can't make a payment, you own it. And then you take what you would have been paying towards it and you build up tax-free money for your future. Excellent. Now, the thing I was scared about is since, you know, I am using all of my savings, um, you know, pretty much, I, you know, I was thinking since I'm young, I'll have time to build up, you know, a disposable income pretty quickly. Um, but uh, should I wait till I have a little bit extra before paying it off or should I just go ahead and do it now? Pay it off. I'm not worried about, I can tell, you know, there's something that I get a sense about people and I'm not worried about you with money. You're not a big spender. You're careful with your money. Um, and if you've built up the kind of reserves that you can pay off your mortgage and own your home in your 20s, just do that. And you'll methodically, month by month, you'll replenish your savings, at least with what you're putting in the Roth every month. And look at my Roth guide at Clark.com and get one open. And your graduation gift from paying off your mortgage is you start replenishing your savings, but starting with building up tax-free in the Roth. Great job, Jose.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Barry's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Barry, you are an entrepreneur, is that correct? Hey, Clark. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I have a small retail business, and um, I'm trying to find a way to buy inventory. Um, right now, I use credit cards, and it's, uh, it's taking too much interest. And I wanted some kind of revolving way that uh, we can buy inventory for the store without uh, all that high interest. So how long do you have to float inventory till you're able to pay it off, you know, that you get enough inbound revenue from sales in the store that the money you've laid out for inventory you can pay back off? Right. It, it could be anywhere from three to six months. Uh, we're, we're a very seasonal business. Okay. Uh, it's, it's sporting goods, so it really depends on what sport is in season at the time. Okay. So you need to get as low an interest rate carry as you can while you're maintaining proper inventory. Correct. All right. So this is a, a terrible and difficult circumstance for small businesses that have to front inventory so you're going to be shocked at the right answer. Okay. The absolute best way to do it is not to think of it as a business. You're using personal credit cards, are you not? That's correct. And that's what you want to continue to do, but you want to find the lowest interest rate cards you can get and replace the ones. You're, what's your current interest rate you're paying on the cards you're floating inventory on? Well, when I first started, they were all zero, uh, but now they're up to between 15 and 20 percent. All right. So what I'd rather you do than do the zero percent kind of cards, I want you to look um, look at credit unions in particular and then bank offers that are available for cards that are below 10 percent interest, you know, seven, eight percent right in that range. And don't get in one that's going to have the boomerang where you get 0%, and then before you know it, it's 17 or 18%. Okay. I'd rather you do inventory management with a lower-cost card. Are you a member of any credit unions yet? Yes, I am. All right, so look around. See what credit union offers you can find that are single-digit interest rate cards, and that's the most efficient way for you to finance your inventory. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, 
and you can get that free off-the-air advice.